tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 79. So, do any of you out there struggle with the organizational side of life? Perhaps you're like me and you have the technology. You know what you should do. In fact, you may even know how you should do it. But actually getting around to it, well, that can be a struggle. In today's podcast, Dana K. White is going to be sharing from her new book, Organizing for the Rest of Us. And oh, I love her approach, you guys, because she's a fellow struggler. Creating order in our lives doesn't come naturally to many of us, maybe even most of us. So you're really going to be blessed by this conversation. In fact, you might want to pause right now and share this episode with a friend because you're not just going to find help today. I believe you're going to find hope in this conversation. So here we go. Well, if you guys have ever struggled to get a handle on your home, (laughs) well, I'm really excited to have Dana White with me today. She's a blogger, podcaster, speaker, and as her bio says, much to her own surprise, a decluttering expert. (laughs) And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we really need help in this area. I certainly did. Welcome to the living room, Dana. Thanks for having me on. This is really fun. Oh, I'll tell you what. I picked up your book and I'm like, oh, I've got to have her because as a young mama, this has always been my struggle point. I feel like the Lord's taught me a lot and he's really helped me get control over my home. But boy, when you're in the middle of it, it's really difficult to imagine that maybe you could get some victory in this area. Can you tell us a little bit about your own story? So my story is that I was born messy. (laughs) I was a messy child with a messy room. I was the high schooler whose locker, I would open it up and everything just fell out. Um, I was messy in college. I was messy when I had my own first apartment when I was single. And But then I was completely shocked that I was still messy after I got married Mm. Um, because I thought that once it mattered to me, that it wouldn't, you know, be an issue anymore. Um, but I still had really good excuses because I was working full time. And so I thought, okay, well, that's that's the problem. But once I'm a stay-at-home mom, then this will be easy, right? Because what else will I have to do? You know, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, and then I became a stay-at-home mom. And at that point, my home was part of my identity. I mean, it's right or wrong, good or bad, whatever. It just was, you know, like that that was part of why I wanted to stay home. I wanted to, you know, create a home that that we loved. And not only was I not magically clean at that point, I, it was actually worse. Like it was harder because, (laughs) you know, now I know that even people who have not struggled their whole lives, once they, you know, have kids, it is, you know, a struggle for them. So, um, so yeah, that that was my story. Um, I wanted to write. I had been a theater arts teacher and had always thought, you know, writing would be a good creative outlet that I would like to pursue at some point. Um, but even when I discovered what blogs were in 2009 and thought, oh, I should do that, um, I didn't start because my house was such a disaster. And I knew myself with creative projects and I knew I would throw myself into it. And I just 
could not justify taking my focus away from my home. So I was trying to get my house under control so I could do this creative thing I wanted to do and couldn't. And really, it was a a compromise. I mean, it was honestly, it was God's idea, not mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I was really frustrated. My second child was about to start kindergarten the next day, and I was only going to have one kid at home. And I thought, I mean, I was in church thinking about this, not listening. But I was was like, okay, tomorrow things change. I'm going to have one kid at home. I don't have to coordinate nap times anymore. This is the time when I it just makes sense. Like this should be the time when I start blogging this thing I wanted to do. And I was just talking to God and I was, I was really frustrated because I was like, why have you not taken this thing away that I have begged you to take away from me? I have begged that you would make me organized and you haven't answered that prayer. And it's keeping me from doing this thing that I knew he had placed as a desire in my heart to, you know, encourage women to write. And um, and God just said, which I don't say that often, I don't say it lightly, but God just, like, I, I heard him say, write about that. And I was mm. like, okay, well, that's actually a really good idea, God. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> okay. But I, the way I went about it was, um, I made up a fake name. I, you know, the the name of my blog, A Slob Comes Clean, came to me at that moment. And I couldn't think of anything else, even though I was wanting to be a writer. And um, so I, I started doing that thinking it was temporary, that I would get to learn about blogging while also getting my house under control. And then once my house was perfect, then I would start writing about things I actually felt competent to write about. Um, yeah, it's 2022 now. So that's the joke. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> I and, love it. Yeah. So this is the thing. This is the thing God always mm-hmm. had all along that he wanted me to write about. I just had no idea. You know, isn't that just amazing? To, uh, it it blows my mind that God chose one of the most undisciplined people in the world to talk about finding intimacy with God in the busyness of life. That's the message that God has given me to write about. And I remember telling the Lord, no, I mean, there's surely there's other people out there that actually have this down. And, you know, I was sitting at a, a guidepost writers workshop and I had just signed the contract for having a Mary Hart and a Martha world. And I was telling God why in the world I was the wrong person to write it. And the teacher, her, her words broke into my stream of consciousness. And she said, the writer must be the struggler. Yes. Because otherwise we come from this expert thing, but when we're able to write from our own struggle, there's so much value. And I, I, I have to tell you, Dana, that I love your book because you're a fellow struggler. You know, I remember as a young married woman, I, and I mean, we probably were separated at birth because everything <laughs> you just described is my life. My sister, my sister moved out of the room we shared because I was such a slob. <laughs> I, I, you know, and that is one of the things that happened when I started writing about this. I mean, I wanted people to read it. Nobody I knew. Like I didn't tell anybody in my real life what I was doing. I love it. I have to I have to interrupt this and say, tell us what you chose as your name because this is great. Yeah. It was a oh my my name for me. Yeah. For for your blog. Yeah. I called myself Noni, which is short for anonymous. My best friend is always like, 
it's Nani Anonymous. And I'm like, I made it up. I can have it be whatever I want it to be. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, so I, but the thing that it was actually a real turning point for me as I, people started reading what I was writing and saying exactly what you just said, which is, I think we were separated at birth. I think that, you know, like your thoughts are the thoughts that go through my head. Like I, and everybody says, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. And so they were telling me, you're not the only one. I thought I was the only one. And as I started to see this, this was back in the olden days, you know, of blogging when, you know, people had profiles and stuff on Blogger. And so I would find out what I could as people started reading and commenting. I was like, oh, you know, we click on their profile and see, well, they were highly creative people. They were mm. writers and artists and um, lots of theater arts teachers, which is what I did before I had kids, you know? So, I mean, there was this very clear common thread of creativity. And I saw that, oh, okay, not that all creative people are slobs, but pretty much all slobs are very creative, you know? So <laughs> I saw that there was this relationship between the creative side of me, the part of me that I would say to God, thank you so much for making me this way. But it was directly related to this struggle that I have because we see the world differently. We have project brains. We have, you know, I mean, like all these things I was able to see the relationship between that and learn to accept that this is part of how God created me, which doesn't mean I say, oh, well, my house is a disaster. You know, what can I do? This is the way I am. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is accepting that God made me this way freed me to say, okay, then what does work for me? I don't have to feel like a failure because traditional organizing advice, which is written by people who are, you know, organized (laughs) and are very different from me. Our brains work very differently. I'd always felt like a failure before because I was like, well, but I try what they're saying and it doesn't work for me. Mm. I just have to find out what does work for me and that that's okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And that, I think that's what makes your book so powerful. Organizing for the rest of us. 100 realistic strategies. I love that realistic strategies to keep any house under control. Because that really was where I got tripped up over and over. You know, I I, I was like you, I begged God, Lord, would you heal this part of me? Because yes. it almost, it felt like a handicap. And so I'd pick up these books and I remember one book, she had us make a whole recipe file box full of things that we would do. You know, like you, you filled out this whole system she had well, by the time I filled out all those recipe cards, Dana, I, you know, I was just like, yeah, this is impossible. All that energy that you had to change how things were is gone. I think I did the exact same thing that you're doing. And then when I got the energy again, I couldn't find the thing I'd done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And this is why I love, I love this little book. And it is, it's just like little in your hands. It's very readable. It's just short little chunks. It's an action step that we can actually make progress on. And there's even little pictures. I love this. <laughs> one of, I have to tell you one of my ideas, which the book comes out tomorrow as we're recording this. I don't know when you're going to release it, but it's hopefully I'll get it done. Um, is I'm going to have my daughter take pictures because there's pictures of me in there, like cleaning and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, let's take pictures of what I actually look like like on a real day mm-hmm. when I didn't fix my hair and fix my makeup before I started cleaning. You know, 
I love that. I think it'd be funny. Well, one of the most powerful concepts that you share is the difference between organization and decluttering. This is so huge. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So when I would look around my house and think, oh my word, what is wrong with me? I have got to get organized. Yeah. I, here, here's the thing. Organizing is problem solving. And my tendency when I thought I needed to get organized would be to sit down and make a plan yeah, or sit down or go shopping and buy a bunch of stuff <laughs> that organized people seem to love for whatever reason. And I would bring it home and either that energy would be gone and I would dump the bag by the back door and it would just turn into clutter. Or I would try to implement those things in my house and it looked nothing like the organized people's homes, you know? So it, that was so overwhelming to me. And because I had failed so many times at getting organized, this idea that I need to get organized, I would put it off longer and longer, which meant my house was getting worse and worse because I was like, I fail every time I try to do this. But when I got started on what I call my deslobification process, you know, when I got started, I was so desperate that I was like, I, I, I am so far down. I can't even get organized. I'm just going to declutter. You know, I really thought that I was kind of giving up by saying, I'm just yeah. going to declutter. But what happened was as I decluttered, first of all, there's nothing to do first. Declutter is, decluttering is just getting stuff out of the house. And so you don't have to like make a plan. You just get started removing stuff from the house. And as I did that, what I realized was, oh, by decluttering, by just getting stuff out of my house, I actually achieved all of those things I had dreamed about mm. when I was thinking I needed to get organized. My house looked better. It functioned better. It felt better. I was able to find the things that I had when I needed to find them, which is kind of a big deal, right? right. <laughs> um, I So all of those things that I wanted from organizing, I actually achieved through decluttering. And I realized decluttering and organizing are not the same thing. And when you view them as the same thing, it actually is self-defeating, you know, yeah. because there's just go ahead and declutter. And even if all you do is declutter, your house is going to be so much better off. That is so, so good. So good. You know, I think I, the problem for me with organizing was that, you know, I would tackle a space and I'd pull it all apart because I was going to get it down to the most organized it could be. And then I would lose steam and then I had more mess. So I love this. Now I want us to get down and practical because this is kind of the place where God started to set me free was this whole thing of decluttering. What can we do even today? What's that one baby step towards decluttering that can kind of like almost give us breathing space to imagine that we could actually actually make continued progress one step at a time? So what you just mentioned of I would pull everything out of a space, um, don't do that. Yeah. Like that is my number one thing is I have a five-step process that I had to come up with for myself. 
Okay. Because I was overwhelmed by every space in my home. You know, most people have that space where they open the door and they look inside and just think, I'd rather close this door and pretend like it doesn't exist. I can't do this. You know, every space in my home was like that. So I had to come up with a way to break through that feeling and to make progress. So the number one thing I would say, start in a visible space in your home. Don't start with the top shelf and the master bedroom closet. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not where you should start because if you start there and you spend all day work in there and then you, your family says, what have you been doing today? And you say, I've been decluttering and you see their eyes flit around the house and you know that the thought going through their mind is really, really what, you know, I mean, like that's incredibly discouraging, right? Yeah. And so instead start with a visible space in your home. I say the space where guests would enter. Some people are like, but that's not the space I see all the time. But you do see it. And it's also the space where it's a really good feeling to open the front door and not be panicked about what people are going to see. So start in your entryway, start in a visible space and just grab a black trash bag. If you have a recycling bin already, you can grab that too. But grab the black trash bag and start throwing away trash. Mm-hmm. Even if there's no trash, even if you're like, who has trash on their entryway? Just go and see if there's any trash. Because what that will do is if there is trash, it goes straight in the trash bag and that space is better than it was before. Yeah. Like it's it looks better. And once that trash is gone, even because you've gone through that process, your brain now knows what is in that space. Where before it was just that space is a mess. And so it's overwhelming. I know there are going to be really hard decisions that I have to make in there. And so it feels like it's all going to be just a bunch of big decisions. But you've removed the trash and now your brain knows what's in there. And it's not as overwhelming for you to keep going with the next step, which is to take anything that has an established home somewhere else in the house and take it there now. You know, we don't worry about why it's not in the right place. Maybe people drop their backpacks or, you know, that that bag full of organizing products you bought that one time or whatever that you dropped by the front door. You know, go ahead and take those things to their established home right now. And with everything you do, it's going to make it look just a little bit better and a little bit better. And when you start in a visible space, you're going to see that. And even though you didn't notice the clutter before because it had just grown to be, you know, what you expected to see. When it's clear, you're going to go, oh, that looks so good. And it actually increases your decluttering energy, which then makes you want to declutter again sooner. And that's where you start to build that momentum on really seeing an impact on your house. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And it's so doable. I think um, I I just remember feeling so paralyzed, you know, because I've said that we all all suffered from dropsy around our house. You know, mm-hmm. we just come in and drop things. And I would literally get paralyzed. I'd look around and think someone really needs to do something. <laughs> but I felt literally paralyzed. And this exercise where we're getting rid of trash, we're moving the things that don't belong where they are, just even that, I think, just breaks that inertia. And uh, it's powerful. Sometimes, you know, I would even ask my family to be part of it. Like, you know, just say 15 minutes, I would use the word, okay, you guys, we're going to blitz the house. Well, <laughs> well, that word, that word almost start, you know, kind of caused PSTD for my children. <laughs> and I remember one day they're like, um, I'd say, okay, you guys, 10 minutes, we need to blitz a house. And they're like, why? 
Are we having company? Yeah. And I realized, oh my goodness, they're becoming used to this chaos. And they think that just to keep, to clean things up means somebody's coming over. And to realize that I was kind of doing them a disservice. And, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be that girl where you can come in and have a white glove and not find a, a speck of dust in my house. But to come into my space and feel order, what I didn't realize was that chaos on the outside was equaling chaos on the inside. And so just starting to to deal with that really broke some of that paralysis and and opened up. You know, I love how you kind of point out that there's there's different levels. And I, I can't find that page, but you talk about the different levels of, of, of cleaning our house or getting our house organized. Can you kind of unpack that? Yeah. So I call it the layers of a clean house. And um, I had this realization. My parents have a little place at a lake that they let us, you know, go have a little free week there over spring break sometimes, you know. And so we would go to this place, you know, and we would unpack and all our stuff would be strewn everywhere. And then at the end, you know, we had to clean it up and leave it like it was when we left it. And so as we were doing that at one point, I realized, oh, there are layers to a clean house. Like I was, you know, working on my own home at the time. So this was on top of my brain. But I realized the first layer is the clutter. Okay. Like I, once the clutter is out, then you can deal with the stuff that needs to be done. But as long as there's excess stuff in there that has no home, that is just, you know, overloading my space, I'm never going to get to the actual cleaning. And the problem was always that I thought, you know, oh, I've got to clean my house. But what I really meant was I've got to declutter it. I've got to catch up on daily stuff. Daily stuff is the second thing. I was not doing daily stuff. I thought that was cleaning my house. When in reality, things like dishes and, you know, doing a five-minute pickup is what we do. You know, those types of things need to be done every day. And if I'm not doing those every day, then I'm catching up on the dishes when I feel like I need to clean my house. And then I never got past my kitchen because I was exhausted by the time I caught up on, you know, days worth of dishes. And then the third layer is the actual cleaning of the house. And if you can get the clutter out and if you can get the daily stuff going on a mostly daily basis, then when it's time to clean the house, it's like, oh, well, this is actually no big deal or not as big of a deal because I'm not first having to pick up everything and remove everything or catch up on a bunch of dishes. Instead, I'm just actually cleaning the kitchen because the dishes are already done. And so just having it broken down like that and realizing that if I, if my house is really hard to keep clean, it's because we've got too much stuff and it's because, um, you know, I've fallen behind on my daily stuff. Mm, so good. So good. You know, I was just thinking as I was preparing for our interview, um, Wow, it's been like 12 years ago. We um, took an interim pastor position. My husband's a pastor in a little town. We knew it was going to be short term. So um, we we didn't want to sell our house yet. We weren't ready. The market was really bad. So we rented a pretty much a fully furnished house, except we needed to just, I wanted to take our, you know, our bedding, our, some of our kitchen utensils and stuff, um, the stuff that I would need. And it was so interesting because 
as I started to go through the house, and we also were getting ready for it to be rented to some young girls from our church, and we were going to leave it fully furnished, I realized, oh my word, how many spatulas does one girl need? (laughs) Really? (laughs) You know, it was just crazy how much superfluous stuff. And so I just took only what I needed. And it was so refreshing to realize I don't need most of the stuff that I've gathered yeah. and, and to let go of that, some of that stuff that we just, why is it that we cling to things rather than realizing, okay, what I have is enough and I, and I need to let go of the excess. Right. And I think what you said though, about like how many spatulas, it's because you pick up a new spatula or somebody sticks it in with a cookie making Christmas gift yes. or something. And so you just kind of somehow end up with them over the years. And it that's why decluttering is an ongoing thing that you have to do pretty much the rest of your life. I mean, there, it, you know, in, in some ways that can feel discouraging, except that accepting that fact of life that people whose houses stay decluttered are constantly getting rid of stuff, knowing that, oh, that's just the way it is, was actually really helpful to me. And I hear that from a lot of people. They say, one of the things that has helped me is just knowing there isn't an end to this. And so it doesn't need to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm still not done. No, it's it's just always going to be. You're always going to have to be getting rid of something. And so accepting that actually is very helpful. Yeah. You know, I think that that was a mind shift that I really needed the Lord's help with because I'm an event girl. Like, give me an event and I'm all over it, but ask me to do maintenance. Ah! Yes. But making peace with the fact that life is maintenance. <laughs> well, and that that's so key. I, I call it my project brain. You know, like mm. I love a big project, like writing a book or putting on a play or whatever. I like to plan it, execute it, and then hear the applause. You know, like <laughs> I enjoy that and I enjoy being done with it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that the problem was I had treated my house that way. I was like, well, I feel successful when it comes to projects. And so I'm just going to apply that mm-hmm. to my house, except that that doesn't work because I would try to clean it from top to bottom thinking what what sense does it make to try to maintain when the house is a mess? Like that doesn't make any sense. So I better get it clean first and then I'll maintain, except that, you know, you add more things into life. You know, I I used to be able to do a full weekend doing nothing but cleaning and the house looked amazing, but then I had kids. Well, there are no weekends anymore when you have kids, you know? So I, I would do that. But even back when I was able to do a marathon project clean, I would think I was done And then the house would go right back to being a disaster. And so when I started this whole process, I felt like I was so completely desperate that I was like, I'm just going to start doing my dishes every day. Like, I I just don't, I'm so discouraged. I don't have the energy to do a project clean. I don't have the time to do a project clean. I'm just going to start doing my dishes and try to figure out how it is that other people don't have dirty dishes all the time. And doing that is what changed my house not the project cleans. It was the figuring out these daily little things. That is where my house actually really, truly started to change. Mm, that is so good. I, I think so many times we, we, we're we all or nothing people, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so if we can't do it all, we end up doing nothing. I I've always laughed and said that I'm a, um, I'm a perfectionist, but with the motivational gift of laziness, 
(laughs) So I would wait until I felt like doing something. And, and, you know, that feeling just wasn't wired in my DNA, not like my mom who that's just who she is. It's just part of who she is. So I think for me, just realizing, Joanna, you've got to make peace with the fact that this isn't an event. (laughs) This is maintenance and letting almost just asking the Lord. And he really has helped me to just kind of wire it into my default system. Cause I think a lot of us, like you talked about, if we're creative by nature, this is not our default system. We we have to get it wired in. And what I hear you saying is it's those little wins. It's those baby steps that begin wiring in a desire for for that decluttered life. Absolutely. And for me, as a super overthinker, like I <laughs> here's the problem. I would I would try to figure it out before I actually tried doing it. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I was like, okay, well, but this is how it should work. I love to make a plan. That's me treating it like a project. This is how everything should work. And yet it does not necessarily play that play out that way in real life. So like I talk about dishes math, you know, I always put off doing the dishes until we were drinking out of measuring cups, you know, because (laughs) in my mind, it made no sense. These people who do the dishes every day, it must take them an hour and a half to do the dishes. Because when I do the dishes after four days, it takes me five hours. And so just doing that math, I was like, how do these people have an hour and a half every day to do the dishes? I don't have that kind of time or energy or even desire to spend an hour and a half doing the dishes. But the reality was, I did not know what one day's worth of dishes were. Yeah, I thought that I was just going to divide it up and say, okay, if it takes me five hours after five days, obviously, or four days, obviously it takes an hour and a half or whatever to do them every day. When in reality, doing them every day, let me see that one day's worth of dishes is like 15, 20 minutes. It is not, you know, dishes math doesn't go by normal mathematical things, but then two days worth of dishes is not twice that. It's not 30 to 40 minutes. It's at least an hour because then I have to rearrange things. It doesn't all fit in the dishwasher or if I hand wash, it doesn't all fit on the Mm -hmm. drying rack, you know, and so there's that. And then three days, well, then there's all my dishes are dirty. The, you know, counters are covered. I have to shift all these things around, move things around. And that's when it takes hours. And so when I over before I had been overthinking it without actually doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was keeping me from doing it. But because I'm an overthinker, I have applied that to explaining this of like, oh, okay, now that I've experienced it, now I can see why this works the way that it does. And now I'm willing to do it. Yes. Well, you have a tip in your book that really was instrumental for me. And that was actually timing how long it takes to do things. Because I always overestimated. I'm like, well, that's just too hard. Yeah. So I call it, um, and it's totally made up by me, but I call it time passage awareness disorder, um, T-pad. And it's it's just what you said. It's that I imagine something's going to take forever, which means I put it off and don't do it. Um, And it was really advice from my mom years ago who said, you know, if you don't like doing something time, how long it takes you to do it. And she specifically was talking about emptying the dishwasher because that is one of those things that I can imagine is a huge job. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it's not 
it takes like four minutes. You know, I mean, like it's shocking. But once I knew that it only took such a short amount of time, that eliminated so many of my reasons why I would procrastinate doing it. Yeah. Oh, I think that that's so true. I, I remember talking to my mom and saying, you know, mom, how do you do this? Like, how do you keep the house up? She was working full-time all of my years growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet our house was just always in order. It wasn't perfect. She wasn't, you know, OCD about anything, but she just had the ability to stay on top of it. And she said, you know, someone said something to me once that has really helped. And that is the difference between a good housekeeper and a bad housekeeper is one hour. And, you know, for me, the one hour sounded way too long. (laughs) But, you know, I, I started just like setting the timer for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and just doing what I could, kind of like what you said, in the spaces that mattered. Because otherwise, you know, I was back in a corner working on things that really wasn't moving the needle forward for my peace of mind. So I love that. You know, you have so many practical tips like this, a hundred strategies. (laughs) If you were to pick your favorite one, or you think the one that could be the most transformative for people listening, which ones or one would those be? I would say the container concept. So, um, This is one of those things where I feel like I am the translator between people who are born knowing this stuff and people who are born not knowing any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I call it the container concept. And what I'm talking about is I used to think that containers were for putting things in. Like I knew organized people loved containers. And so I would buy containers, like sometimes the exact same ones somebody else had, (laughs) bring it home. It looks nothing like their house. And I was like, why does this not work for me? Like why I am doomed to be disorganized. Well, I realized that containers are not actually for putting things in. They are meant to, you know, contain, like serve as a Mm. limit. And when I realized that the purpose of a container was to serve as a limit, then it all started to make sense. So instead of assessing the value of each and every crayon, you know, I mean, like I'm a nice person. So I truly believe that broken crayons still color, you know, I mean, like I don't have to look at a crayon and say, does this crayon have value? Should I keep it? Instead, I just say, you know, does it fit in the container? And and that means that when I have 2000 crayons, I put my favorite ones in the container first, and then I let the container make the decision of what can stay and what needs to go. And if I'm putting my favorite ones in there first, well, that's fun, right? Like that's enjoyable. And it naturally sorts out what I have room for And if I will get rid of the ones that don't fit and only keep what will fit in the container, then I can keep that under control. And I started to realize, okay, so every space in my home is a container. Cause if I had three buckets for, for crayons, because I just kept buying buckets, well, then those wouldn't fit on the shelf. Right. Right. And so the shelf is also a limit. It's a container and every room is a limit. It's a container that determines how many shelving units I can have, where I used to just buy more shelving units thinking, well, this will solve my problems, but then I didn't actually have room for all the shelving units. And I still had more stuff than we put on them anyway, because I just didn't see those limits. And so embracing the reality of containers, embracing the limits freed me to then not feel bad that I was getting rid of something, even though it was technically, you know, useful or whatever, but I was able to say, well, there's just no space. It's not me. Mm. I would keep it, 
but there's no space for it. And that was incredibly freeing for me in this whole process. Oh, that is really good. I love that. I love that. Well, let's just say that we are following your tips and we're getting control on our life. Um, how do we sustain it? Because, you know, I, I we went through that whole downsizing. What What is it like 12, 13 years ago that I kind of talk about with with the fully furnished home. And then when we moved to our new location, I just let go of all sorts of stuff. But oh my goodness, it's like stuff is like rabbits. It, mm-hmm. it multiplies. And I'm at that place again where, you know, I need to declutter a little bit on those, on those hidden spaces. Um, right. But after we do that, how do we keep on top of that? So we don't get in that situation again. Well, let's take that container concept and let's just expand it further. And I eventually realized my house is a container. The size of my house is the size of my house. I have to declutter until things actually fit easily, get to a bleed in my home, you know? And I also realized once I understood that a container is a limit and that my stuff can only stay under control if it's, you know, purged down to the limit that 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 exists anyway, that was when this whole one in one out thing started to make sense to me. I had heard of the one in one out rule, but it never made sense to me because I was like, what good does it do to get rid of one pair of socks when, you know, I get a new one because my sock drawer didn't close anyway. Like that's how my brain thought, you know, I was like, that, why are we talking about this? Um, when I realized that, oh, okay. The, um, Once I've purged down to the limits of the container, even if that's just the house as a whole, then as something new comes in, something else has to leave. Yeah. Otherwise I, it's, it's going to just, you know, outgrow the container again. So as I, as I started, and I, you know, I, I talk about it with crayons. I'm like, well, so when you, you know, you purge down, you've only got what fits in your bucket for crayons but then you find your kid's favorite crayon on the coffee table. Cause you know, they were actually using that one. I used to think, Oh my goodness. Well, you know, there's no hope. I can never do this. Every time I think I've made progress, then I end up, you know, finding out that it's just back to being awful or whatever. Um, I just realized, Oh, that's where the one in one out rule comes in. You know, it's like, I know I love this crayon. All I have to do is take out something I love less. That's good. And then there's room for this. Well, that's the same thing with my house. As new things come in, I just have to take out something that I don't like as much as this thing. It doesn't have to be spatula for spatula, but it it just has to be space for space. But sometimes what that does, or a lot of times what that does really, is as I'm thinking about bringing something new in, if I have that mindset that, well, if something new comes in, something else is going to have to leave it makes this new thing look different to me. And I decide, well, I don't want to bring it in. That's good. That's so good. I like that, you know, which I think kind of brings up a topic that I think really sometimes is at the root of our holding on to things is how to get over our attachment (laughs) to our stuff. How do, how do we do that? How do we learn how to tap into, okay, And I think maybe you have kind of shared like one thing I like more than another, but how do I let go of that thing when you never know, Dana, I might need that someday. So that's, 
the number one thing I say is don't start with that stuff. Don't start with the stuff that takes your breath away. Don't start with the stuff that wakes you up in the middle of the night and makes you go, oh, I've got to make a decision about what to do with, you know, the stuff from my, when I used to teach third grade or whatever, you know, that is highly emotional stuff. Start with the stuff that's not emotional. Okay. And my whole decluttering process takes the emotions out of it. So there are no emotions involved. It's never how I feel about something. Do I love it? I'm like, I love everything. So I can't ask myself that question, you know? So I have very, you know, fact-based questions that help me determine where something goes in my home, if it has a place in my home. And when I look at it that way, then I'm making progress. I'm starting to improve my home on the things that I don't, you know, wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. And I start to change how I think about my home. Like that's what happened to me is I didn't know how much I would enjoy living with more space free Mm. in my home. I had just always had all my spaces filled and I was fine. I mean, I was able to function and do my jobs and what I needed to do. So I didn't know how much I would love it. So I kind of had to adjust to that and realize, oh, wow, it is easier to function in my home when I have less stuff in it. You know, I hit that clutter threshold and I realized, oh, I can handle this amount of stuff in my house. And when I started to see that it was easier to live in my house, that I liked my house more, that stuff before that used to take my breath away, it looked different to me now Hmm. because I was like, well, do I really love it enough that it's worth making my house harder to manage? Mm-hmm. You know, do I, do I really love it enough? Does it mean enough to me that I, you know, am willing to have to deal with it? But sometimes what would happen too, is I would get rid of those easy things that I didn't care about. And then I ended up having the space for these things to be able to keep the things that I really wanted to keep. So, you know, one of those two ways, either one is great. I love that. I love that. Oh, this has just been so rich. I hope you guys definitely check out Dana's book and you can find all of the links over at the show notes. Um, But Dana, you've got a lot of online resources as well. um, Some groups that are available. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. So my website is called a slob comes clean and that's where all my information is. <laughs> um, and the book is organizing for the rest of us. I have other books as well that the way I describe it is um, this book is a hundred quick strategies. They made me, you know, really edit my words down, but if you want all the words and all the thoughts and all the answers to your excuses, it's in those first two books, but, um, but yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and and all those places. I'm Dana K white. I like to put the K in there because there's a guy named Dana white who is the leader of the ultimate fighting championship. And that is not me. So, (laughs) all right. So you guys, we don't want you to be confused, right? (laughs) You'd be surprised how much confusion there has been over the years. That's why I have the K in there. So, I love it. Well, I just, I just want to say to those of you who are out there listening, and this is sort of your secret thing. Like, like a, I know a lot of us who, who want to be different or maybe who've just decided, well, I'm just never going to have victory. So I'm just not going to care. Um, I just want to encourage those of you who struggle in this area that they're, that the Lord really wants to help you. That was so sweet to realize that even in that place, 
there's grace. And I really believe that Dana's material and her her resources can help us towards that. But as we close, Dana, would you just pray for those girls out there that just feel like to get control over their house would be almost as miraculous as growing another limb? <laughs> can you pray for us? Absolutely. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had. Um, it's just been such a fun conversation. It's been a fun time um, for us to just connect with each other. Um, and Lord, I pray for those who are listening. I pray specifically for the woman who feels like she's flawed and broken. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just help her to, to know deep in her soul, in her heart, that you love her and you made her the way that she is yeah. and that she's not flawed. She's not broken. She just has special specialness that you've given her, Lord, and that it's okay for her to work within the way that you made her and stop feeling like a failure and find ways that that do work for her, Lord. And I just, I thank you that, that you love us and you give us grace, but you also just give us peace and, and you give us hope. And I thank you for that. And I just pray that that is what um, the woman listening today will feel and understand your name. Amen. Amen. I hope you go back over this conversation and choose at least one thing that you can start to do today to help you get order in your life. You can find links to Dana's book as well as her online resources over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 079. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you may also want to share this episode with a friend. You know, I don't know about you, but I felt so hopeless and helpless when it came to getting control of my home. And it really helped me to share the journey with a friend. Um, In fact, you might have someone that both of you are just feeling really stuck. And so you just take turns coming over and helping each other get some traction in a troubled area. I want to encourage you also to enlist your family. I've told my husband often that just having him pick up the dishes and start doing something like unlocks the paralysis in me. Whatever you do, don't forget to bring God into the equation. Oh, you guys, He cares about every area of our lives, and He wants to help us get rid of the clutter that locks us down in the physical, but also in the spiritual and the emotional realm. If you find yourself kind of pushing back at the whole idea of trying again to get some control over your life, I understand. But here's the deal. God can even heal your wanter. (laughs) He's that good, good, good father who knows how to help us do the things we need to do because he has committed himself to helping us by his Holy Spirit so that we can live and love and lean like Jesus. See you next time, my friend. God bless.